Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, June 24th, 2010. You know, even though this has been a short week, it has felt pretty long for me. I'm I'm a bit tired. I think I'm suffering from post-wedding stress disorder. Yeah, those of you working on PhDs in psychology, I, I could probably be a case study person for you. <sighs> Just feel like all of my adrenaline is drained out. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. You know, listen, we've always got to be vigilant. 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 Yeah, those are those are village people. If you're a vigilant person, you are a vil- <laughs> Inventing my own vocabulary on the fly here at Fighting for the Faith. Don't try this at home, by the way. You, you, you could end up uh, you know, hurting yourself. I do all the time. <clears throat> Let me go back to the point I was making. We always need to be vigilant, vigilant in the church, because remember, our enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion, You know, uh, basically uh, looking for those whom he can devour. And he devours us through false doctrine, false teaching, and bright, shiny objects that get our focus off of Christ and him crucified for our sins and what he's done for us, and put it onto something else. I mean, it could be... the, the Well, let me put it this way. The possibilities are endless. You, you, Satan is uber creative, and he is really in touch with the pulse of the current culture and whatever the, uh, the, the, the major zeitgeist of the moment is. And uh, he has no trouble, apparently, just, you know, wooing pastors and laymen alike away from the Bible. Come with me. I've got something brighter, shinier, more relevant, more hip. I, I can give you power. I could give you fame. I could give you fortune. I could give you money. I could give you success. Just come this way. Just come this way. And people go, okay, yeah, that, that sounds great to me. And next thing you know, they find themselves trapped. Yeah, literally trapped. That's the best way to put it. Trapped in false doctrine, false teaching, false methods, false ideas, and doing any, everything that they ought, well, doing anything that they could be doing except for the thing they should be doing from the pulpit or in their Bible studies or whatever. Listen, Christianity is really, really simple. It, this is one of those things where it's. You have to try to, hard to mess this up. I mean, you have to be really creative to mess this whole thing up. The reason why is, well, 
God's given us a book. Yeah, it's true. We have a book. And you're thinking, oh, that's old and that's dusty. Who wants to read the desert scribbling writings of these, uh, uh, you know, bad-toothed, ugly, uh, camel-skin-wearing desert rats? Yeah, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, <clears throat> regardless of their hygiene, and, uh, you know, Bible does tell us that some of these guys had iffy hygiene at best. Hygiene is not really the issue. The issue is is that God chose them and inspired them to write things down which truly are revelations of who God is, what he's done, what he's done for us, what he expects of us, what are the promises that he's made to us. I mean, there's amazing stuff in the book, but you've got to read it. And pastors are supposed to be preaching from it and not just taking one or two verses. You know, one of the things I was thinking about doing, you know, I'm constantly in a in a, in a state of perpetual brainstorming. And the reason why is that, well, I I have radio. I, I've got several hours of radio to fill on a daily basis. And uh, while I was uh, eating breakfast this morning, and by the way, for breakfast this morning, I had watermelon. In case you were wondering, I had watermelon. My wife has uh, done a fine job of uh, collecting for uh, our family, foraging, if you would, uh, fresh fruits and veggies uh, during the summer season. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it, watermelon's a great breakfast. You wake up, have the thing, it fills you right up, and not only that, you're hydrated. It's, it's some good stuff. Anyway, I, so I was sitting there at the uh, breakfast table eating watermelon this morning, and uh, seedless, by the way, seedless watermelon, and um, so I wasn't spitting seeds. And I was thinking, you know, I, I should put together uh, a purpose-driven Bible. And then I realized as I was thinking of, through this little particular project that it would be really... T- um, well, it'd be really easy to put together a purpose-driven Bible because really it would only be about pamphlet-sized, and uh, you know, and and I, what I could do is kind of go back through the, uh, the, the all the verses <clears throat> that have been ripped out of context uh, in the seeker-driven sermons that we've been listening to for the last two years. Talk about two years, by the way. Uh, the uh, two-year uh, um, anniversary, uh, uh, the birthday of Pirate Christian Radio is coming up on June thirtieth. Just want to let you know we are celebrating our two years of being in in uh, production here. Anyway, uh, so so if I were to go back through the sermons I reviewed and just take the verses that and there's there just seems to be just a handful of them all ripped out of context. It's not like these seeker driven guys spend any amount of time really teaching the Bible and just take a few of them you know, basically put together a pamphlet sized Bible and uh, you know save you save these people who are attending these churches all the money that they're supposed to pay, because they're supposed to tie that these churches, and you show up there. I mean, this is one of the things you've got to do. I mean, these these seeker driven uh, churches. I mean, they've got you know multi tens and fifteens, you know tens and hundreds of million dollar annual budgets to keep their big productions rolling every year. And in fact, I just took a look at the two thousand nine uh, 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 um, financial statement, if you would, a State of the Union address statement kind of thing from uh, uh, Perry Noble's church down there in Anderson, South Carolina. $15 million uh, was their uh, 2009 expenditure. $15 million. Uh, anyway, so so what you need to do is you just, you know, you, 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 they expect you to show up and tithe at these churches because they've got to keep the thing rolling. I mean, obedience on the tithe thing, mucho importante. Otherwise, they can't put on the 
the uh, weekly television shows that they put on there. And so, um, you know, I thought I would save all of these poor seeker driven people, you know, just some money and come up with, you know, after two years of listening to seeker driven sermons, I, I get, I get it. I, you know, I see the major themes they go through. I've seen all the verses that they quote out of context and just put together a pamphlet sized bi- uh, Bible for them and say here here's all you need to know i mean this is the uh, this is all the bible that's really taught in seeker driven churches and you can read this in about well you know 2 3 minutes uh, if you if you slow down and and sip some coffee while you're reading it you, you probably could stretch it out to 5 and you know 5 whole minutes and once you've read all of these verses then you pretty much know everything that you're going to learn at a seeker driven church and um, and then i realized you know that <laughs> That might just be a little biting of me. If, um, silly me. I mean, don't I realize that they, you just don't know what they're going to do next? They might add five more verses next year, at which point, I mean, we might end up having to double the size of their Bible. <sighs> I don't think I should say anymore. Anyway, so <laughs> that's what I was thinking about while eating watermelon today. And I just know that you all were dying to uh, hear that. So, um, okay, today... <laughs> Today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, I got a lot of ground I want to cover. I've got an I got another uh, email, uh, a winner, if you would. It, not really a winner, but I thought this was a well written email uh, talking about uh, the uh, Phil Shepard debrief, and this is from a gal by the name of Crystal, whom I've met. She is uh, local to uh, Central Indiana here, and uh, she wrote, I thought, just a very nice uh, response in giving us a debrief on the Phil Shepard stuff, Phil Shepard being the whiskey preacher, and I interviewed him on the program here a couple weeks ago now, and have solicited uh, some uh, listener response. Not all of the response I've received has made the cut, but Crystal's did, so I want to read hers today. And uh, and then I want to talk about leadership. Um, if you follow my uh, blogs, uh, the Letter of Mark, M-A-R-Q-U-E, that's letterofmark.us, letterofmark.us, um, I have a blog that I that I'm writing, and uh, in case you're wondering, you're thinking, well, don't you write for ExtremeTheology.com? Yes, I do, and I'm in the process of slowly uh, retiring ExtremeTheology.com. And you're thinking, well, why? The reason why is as actually simple is is that the the Extreme Theology, in in my way of thinking, represents um, the kind of my journey to where I am now. And there's some pieces in there that I wouldn't write, and there's, uh, or at least write them the way I wrote them. And there's some pieces in there that that, that I think don't represent a fully developed view of things the way I, 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 at least I think I have a better developed view now. And so I'm keeping it up, kind of for posterity's sake and for things. And I'm going to go back and and uh, rework some of the articles. But uh, the Letter of Mark blog, uh, that's M A R Q U E, Letter of Mark U.S. is the, is my uh, my newer uh, blog site. And uh, and uh, if you follow my Letter of Mark blog as well as the um, uh, Museum of Idolatry, uh, then you know that today I've spent some time writing about and, and kind of taking jabs at this whole leadership thing. And what prompted that, and we're going to talk about that today, but what prompted it, it is some something I'm going to be playing for you today. Uh, well, actually, two things. Is um, Maybe I won't play this one. I, I've been spending some time cleaning up my RSS reader, 
And uh, I use uh, Net Newswire, by the way, you know, because the information that I've got to sift through on a daily basis, I mean, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. And so I need a way to kind of organize everything. And so I've been uh, cleaning out some of the bad links in my RSS reader and I've been spending some time kind of reworking my youth ministry uh, blog blogs that I follow. And um, the the, uh, purpose-driven youth ministry organization that sells uh, materials to the uh, greater seeker-driven youth ministry world is is called youthministry.com. And uh, and there's also simply juniorhigh.com. And Kurt Johnson, whom I've actually met, uh, Kurt Johnston of uh, Saddleback Church, he's uh, the junior high pastor there. I've, I met him on an airplane from uh, Denver, Colorado, to uh, flying all the way to um, uh, Orange County. Weird, weird that I actually met him that way. But anyway, he's got a um, he's got several videos that he's been posting at his blog, uh, juniorhighministry.com, and. One of them is is uh, episode forty five, Starbucks versus Waterloo Station. I might play a little bit of that for you, and it just over and over and over and over and over again. All I ever hear from these guys is the same type of stuff that I heard in my leadership classes when I was getting my uh, MBA from Pepperdine, and uh, I mean seriously. I'm convinced if these guys would spend half as much time actually focus on focusing on correctly handling and understanding God's word, um, I would have far less to criticize them for. But they just kind of, they've they've absolutely become obsessed with leadership. And uh, I put a post up today or an exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry, and, and it, it, it asked the question: Have these guys made leadership an idol? And I post about uh, maybe about you know, eight to ten different screenshots from all the major leadership conferences that are taking place just this year or within the next 12 months. And these guys have completely overdosed on leadership. And I think that's, you know, we, you know, people have been looking. What Remember how the prayer of Jabez was the thing? I mean, it was like a huge fad. We had the... We had the promise keepers. We had the prayer of Jabez. And then the whole purpose-driven life thing. Oh, good night. I mean, and if if you've spent any amount of time in Christianity, then you know that American evangelicalism just chases one fad to the next, to the next, to the next. And I was thinking about this going, you know, what what is the prayer of Jabez fad right now that everyone's bought into? And, and, and I realized it wasn't what I thought it was. I think it's leadership. I think leadership is the big fad right now. And I'm convinced that it's also jumped the shark. I mean, that whole jump the shark uh, thing that I read the other day got me thinking, got me thinking. And I've made, I've put it out there. In fact, I stand behind what I've written at my Litter of Mark blog. I make the claim that um, you know, church, these leadership conferences have jumped the shark. So we'll talk about that a little bit today. And oh, let's see here. Okay. So, uh, and then got a question, what's being taught at Saddleback's uh, high school youth group? I kind of review some stuff, uh, there from Josh Griffin's, uh, uh blog site. Um, he posted up a, a four year curriculum that what's going to be taught to the uh, high schoolers, teenagers over at uh, Saddleback. And I've got some questions and I, I put it out as a discussion piece, both at uh, Twitter and Facebook this morning, you know, and basically po- linked to Josh Griffin's piece and asked the question, 
um, knowing what they're teaching, I mean, would you send your teenager to this youth group? And, you know, of course, some people, they, you know, didn't actually engage in what I would consider quality conversation because I'm so emergent, you know. Uh, but uh, they said things like, well, it's at Saddleback and has something to do with Rick Warren. I'd never have anything to do with it. I don't consider that to be a um, a well-reasoned answer. I, that's, you know, I agree with you. I, you know, anything that Rick Warren has put his stamp of approval on or is involved in, I... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I would get queasy along that line too, but that wasn't the whole point of the discussion. You know, remember uh, the uh, Saturday Night Live sketch, Coffee Talk? You know, you know, you remember the the famous saying, uh, "The Civil War was neither civil nor a war." Discuss. You know, you're supposed to you know discuss these things. So if I, if you see me uh, at Facebook or Twitter, put up discussion questions. The idea is to come back with thoughtful discussion, not you know. You get what I'm saying. Anyway, so uh, we'll, we'll be looking at uh, Josh Griffin's uh, thing today there, too. And, and and we'll even get Ed Stetzer thrown in for free because uh, when I'm talking about leadership, uh, the whole idea of being missional will come up. And, you know, who better to go to the definition of missional than Ed Stetzer, Mr. Missional himself? And I've been claiming for a long time now that the, the word doesn't mean anything. And now I have absolute proof that the word doesn't mean anything and uh, we'll talk about what Ed Stetzer says about that today. So, and, and then our sermon today. I, I'm, you know, we will have a good sermon today. Why? Because my brain is fried. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Now, I'm not going to play his sermon today. He sent me a great sermon. I'll probably play it next week. But he, he was concerned about me, and so he sent me a good sermon that we on prayer. And I, I want to give it, uh, I want to feature it correctly. So sometime next week, we will be hearing a uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley sermon. And he was concerned that I, yeah, that I may be burned out after listening to and reviewing all the bad sermons that we've done lately. And he was right. And so, uh, his sermon, after I listened to it today, it really kind of helped pep me up a little bit. And, uh, I, I def- definitely want to play it, but I, I'm saving it for a program that I'm, I'm working out the, the rest of the kinks on. And I think it would, work out well. And so I found a good sermon that I thought would go well with today's the, the kind of the 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 unspoken theme and topic that I've been that I've centered this program around. And so it comes from uh Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, my former pastor, uh Pastor Ron Hodel, and the name of the sermon is You're the Man. Thinking that sounds familiar. Yes, it should sound familiar. Uh, think David and Bathsheba. And so it's a good sermon, and it's not very long, so today will be a slightly shorter edition of Fighting for the Faith because we don't, you know, like I need to interrupt Ron Hodel and go, oh, you know, he's twisting God's word. No, he actually isn't. He he does a great job with that particular sermon. So with that, uh, we're going to dive into our program proper, which does mean that I have to queue up our, um, our email uh, music theme. Maestro, email music, please. All right, our email today comes to us from Crystal in Indianapolis, central Indiana here. She's a Hoosier. And uh, she's uh, chiming in on, uh, basically, uh, her submission in the uh, Phil Shepard debrief email department. And by the way, if you want to go ahead and email me your debrief, your thoughts on what Phil Shepard said, 
you could still do so. I, I, you know, even though, you know, it's been a few weeks since we've uh, done this, I, I, I am enjoying the emails that I'm getting from some of you all. Not every one of them is making the grade. You have to, th- you know, think it through and make it compelling biblically. Biblically. I know some of you have emailed me some very nice opinions. Uh, and those opinions may or may not be correct. That's kind of not the point of the debrief. The point of the debrief is to uh, give me a biblical reason why you think the things Phil said were not correct. Not because you have great opinions, but because God's word does. You know, see, remember, here at Fighting for the Faith, we compare what people say in the name of God to the word of God. That's the whole idea behind the debrief. So uh, Crystal Rice, she says, Hi, Chris. Uh, when you interviewed Phil Shepard on Fighting for the Faith a couple of weeks ago, he said that the Bible is like a photo album of our family history. He also said that man is not sinful, wretched, or a piece of you know, crap, etc., and that it was, in fact, sinful to believe that you are sinful, wretched, or a piece of crap. Actually, the Bible doesn't teach what pieces of crap, but he did say that. You're right. He says, so I decided to open up my photo album, Bible, if you would, and see what some of my ancient family members thought about their own nature and about sin. <laughs> Clever. All right. I like where you're going with this, Crystal. She says, now let's look at our family member, Isaiah. Okay, so let's take a look. I mean, I, I wonder what kind of hairdo Isaiah had. If we look back in our family photo album, what we think, oh, that's, uh, that's so 600 B.C. Anyway, <clears throat> let me see. He was by birth an aristocrat. He was educated and was called of God to be a prophet. There is no indication of scripture, I, I mean our photo album, that he was a wicked man or was struggling with the sin of low self-esteem. However, when he was confronted with the holiness of God's, his words were, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's Isaiah 6, 5. The passage continues, quote, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. <clears throat> yeah, I guess that's in the photo album. Let me continue. She says, Now we know by the angel's words that Isaiah was guilty and did sin. Yeah, it does seem to imply that, doesn't it? Otherwise, he wouldn't have need to have his sin atoned for. Uh, but the angel didn't correct Isaiah's assessment of himself. He didn't say, oh, Isaiah, God just wants you to stop thinking of yourself as unclean and discover your worth. Turn that frown upside down. Isaiah saw himself as a sinner, a man of unclean lips, and God agreed and made atonement for that sin. Great point, by the way. Now let's look at another of our family members, David. <laughs> I love how she kept this in in the same vein as as the uh, metaphor that he used. He says, now let's look at uh, our family member David. After David sinned with Bathsheba, our photo album says that the Lord sent Nathan to David. That's in Second Samuel, uh, Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Nathan said to David, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave your master's house, gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Uh, God did not say, why did you have such low self-worth? But why have you despised the word of the Lord? 
Yeah, I, I agree, Crystal. That's exactly what our photo album says. Now, David wrote a psalm in response to this incident. Uh, was it lamenting over how his poor self-esteem led him to sin with Bathsheba? No, I, that's not how I remember that psalm. Nope. She says, uh, David says things in Psalm 51 like, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Verse 4, And behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's verse 5. And the kicker is in verse 17, quote, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So while Phil Shepherd says that thinking of ourselves as wretched sinners is a sin, our photo album says that this is the kind of heart that God will not despise. Good point. Now, that guy who uh, who died to show us our worth, Jesus, <laughs> that was tongue-in-cheek, uh, also talks about this issue. He says in Luke 18, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Uh, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, I tell you, this man, that's referring to the uh, tax collector, uh, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Based on what Phil Shepard says, the opposite should be true. The man who saw himself as a wretched sinner should not be the one who is justified, but Jesus says the opposite. Our photo album also gives us some other snapshots about the sinful nature of man. They are very, they are a very clear, they are very clear pictures, all in focus, with no one's thumb covering the lens. Uh, Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm fourteen one through two: The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside, and together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. I think the Bible makes it clear that man is sinful by nature, and that despite what Phil Shepard says, it's not a sin to see yourself as a wretched sinner. So why did Jesus die on the cross? Was it to show us our worth? Well, why don't we ask Jesus himself? Jesus says in Matthew twenty twenty eight, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, so some other scriptures, sorry, photos from our photo album that speak of, to the purpose of Jesus' death on the cross. First John chapter 2, verse 2 states, He is the propitiation for our sins, and, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Second Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Romans five nineteen. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Or Romans three twenty three through twenty five. For all have sinned, and they fall short of the glory of God, and are justified or declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward 
as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And there are many more. Phil Shepard seems like a nice guy, but when it comes to the Bible, the cross, and the sinful condition of man, he's just plain old wrong. Thanks for taking the time to read this, Crystal. Crystal, great email, nice debrief, well uh, well argued from the scriptures. Fine job. Thank you very much for your lucid and biblical response. Okay, we are up on our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk about leadership. We'll t- talk about ju- uh, what's going on at Saddleback in their junior high and senior high youth ministries. And, um, and, you know, kind of work out from there. And then, you know, hour number two, we have a good sermon review for you. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss any of this stuff. It, it'll absolutely be fun and entertaining. I'm sure of it. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. Uh, my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. We will be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh. sacked the choir, and put Damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, 
I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do... Chief ex- weapons are... Our chief weapons are... Um, purpose. Uh, uh, vision. Okay, and- okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now... How do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Warning, if you think the Bible is just a mere photo album, you kind of miss the point if you don't actually read the text. It's full of words, not just pictures. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous financial gifts and contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. They are truly friendly. It's a friendly yellow color. And one says donate, the other says join our crew. When you uh, join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio and our worldwide internet radio outreach. That's right. We're listened to like all over the world. It's kind of crazy. I still can't believe anyone listens to this program. Anyway, um, if, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, uh, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay. Um, well, I always get... Feel funny doing this, but it's. Mm, 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 mm. This is the second time I've done this in a couple weeks. From the Letter of Mark blog, written by Chris Rosebro. Oh, that just sounds wrong. Oh. Headline reads Leadership conferences have jumped the shark. That's right. 
Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been thinking about this uh, quite a bit lately, but we'll talk about what's prompted me to write this in just a little bit. I think that leadership and pastoral leadership conferences have jumped the shark. They are so 2006, and, and they quit being innovative a long, long, long time ago. Now, I knew things were getting desperate in the world of leadership conferences when Rick Warren slapped a new label on his same old, tired, purpose-driven leadership materials and renamed it Radicalis. Uh, did he think that no one would notice that it's the exact same curriculum that he's been pushing for 25 years? Yawn, boring, stale. Been there, done that. I I even have a t-shirt to prove it. Now, I can think of hundreds of other things I'd rather be doing than attend an outdated rehash of leadership leftovers in yet another multi-day so-called transformational leadership experience. Has anyone noticed that it is the exact same people who keep getting invited to speak at these events? Seriously, how many times do I need to hear Perry Noble complain about the mean old bloggers who aren't even man enough to come out from behind their laptops? Even the young avant-garde emergent types are getting old and fat, and their cool, trendy jeans and shirts and glasses are looking as relevant as a rerun of Love American style. Now, if you're old enough to know what I'm talking about without looking it up on YouTube, yeah, yeah, then you're old like me. Yawn, boring, stale. I've been there, done that. I even have the T-shirt to prove it. Now, seriously, the pantheon of so-called innovative church leadership demigods sure seem to be seriously lacking innovation lately. Apparently, the wellspring in their valley of vision has run dry And there's nothing really new under the leadership sun, so they have nothing better to do than invite the same speakers to say the same things in the same auditoriums, singing the same songs, delivering the same leadership pep talks. Even Perry Noble wore the exact same clothes two years in a row at the conference that his church hosts. No kidding, by the way. If you want to see those pictures, I have links to them uh, at the Letter of Mark blog. So, yawn, boring, stale. Been there, done that, and I even have a t-shirt to prove it. Now, some have tried to keep the leadership industry alive by creating a new Christian leadership code language uh, that we're supposed to read their books in order to decipher and then apply to ministry. Uh, They throw around words like missional, intentional, incarnational, experiential, and relational, as, as if these words actually mean anything real. Uh, But these words are now as cutting-edge and edgy as Vente, Grande, Macchiato, and Frappuccino. Yeah, think about it. We've had those words for quite a long time now. I think those terms are yawn-ol, boring-ol, stale-ol. I even have a t-shirt to prove it. Rest in peace, leadership conferences. You taught us that if you live by relevance, you also die by relevance. You were cool for a season, but I'm bored with you now. Been there, done that. I even have a T-shirt to prove it. Now, if you're thinking, wait a second, somebody actually tweeted me and uh, said that, no, 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 missional means something. Those words actually mean something. No, they don't. For your um, listening pleasure, from the uh, edstetzer.com blog, that's edstetzer.com, back in uh, August of 2007, he began a series of things called Monday is for Missiology, and uh, he decided he would talk about the definition of missional. So I read from Ed Stetzer's blog back in 2007, you know, back when the term missional was so cutting-edge and trendy. <clears throat> Let's see here. Um, okay. Uh, 
I want to add up front that I will start this project from a, a historical perspective. My PhD is in missions, and my ideas are shaped by the historic ideas about church and mission. So I won't post on this every day, lest some of you get quite bored on the subject. But I would encourage you to read along anyway. The missional conversation is an important one, and I hope that the series will add to the dialogue on the issue. Finally, I would add that I don't think I can define the word missional. Simply put, it means what people intend it to mean when they use it. For me to say, no, 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 missional means this and you are using it wrong is silly. And that goes for all users of the word. Yeah, Dr. Ed Stetzer, who has a doctorate in missiology, uh, when, when, when writing about what the word missional means, said, quote, simply put, missional means what people intend it to mean when they use it. By the way, that is exactly the, <laughs> in other words, it does, it, who, whoever is using the word, it means whatever they mean it to mean when they're using the word. In other words, it's Humpty Dumpty language. For literally, I mean, words mean, that's, uh, that's from Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. Humpty Dumpty basically talk, it has this whole thing in there where he talks about words mean what they, he means them to mean when he uses them and, and whatever, and basically. So the word missional, according to Ed Stetzer, doesn't mean anything hard and fast. It's it, whoever's using it, when they're using it, in the way they're using it, that and the way they intend to use that word, that's what the word means. I've got this from no other, from Ed Stetzer himself, doctor of missiology. By the way, okay, um, I want to talk a little bit more about this. Why is all of this leadership stuff important, and why did I write this piece that I wrote about leadership conferences have jumped the shark? Well, it seems to me that um, the seeker-driven guys, this this is the big fad that's running through the churches. Leadership, 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 leadership. And if you were to visit the Museum of Idolatry and uh, and look for the uh, the uh, exhibit entitled Leadership Idol, leadership, leadership Idol with a question mark. By the way, the Museum of Idolatry is found on the Internet, and it can be found at alittleleaven.com. And the uh, the exhibit went up today. I wrote this. I said, to even a casual outside observer, it would appear that the latest fad to sweep through the Christian church centers around leadership. Now, one may argue that this is that this insatiable lust for leadership principles borders on idolatry. Now, here's just a sample of this year's Christian leadership conferences. And what I've done is I've put up screenshots from, you know, about eight, eight to ten different leadership conferences and their stuff for this year so you know, you can kind of get a feel for what's going on uh what's going on here i so i said ironically though the leadership model taught at these conferences is not the servant leadership model that jesus modeled and taught in john 13 uh verses 1 through 11 now john 13 verses 1 through 11 is jesus you know in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed basically sitting the disciples down and him washing their feet Okay. Now I know something about leadership, by the way. My first master's degree is in leadership and organizational change. So I know about, I've studied this all on a postgraduate level. I understand that there's a plethora of different leadership models out there. And I've paid attention to and studied the leadership models being put forward by Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Leadership Network, Catalyst, uh, uh, Exponential, all of those guys. Okay. And here's my assessment of them. 
Um, these conferences teach the exact same leadership model used by Fortune 500 corporate CEOs and businesses. Uh, this Wall Street business model is a top-down, vision-casting, innovation-requiring, absolute loyalty-insisting, accountability-dodging, and obedience-demanding leadership model. This is also the leadership model that tends to be used by corrupt kings, popes, Caesars, and narcissistic empire builders. Just my personal opinion, but it is somewhat informed. Uh, too bad that the pastors who attend and put these uh, put on these conferences don't focus as much energy on rightly handling God's word and preaching and proclaiming Christ-centered and cross-focused sound doctrine. In fact, many of them, and this is an uh, this is an opinion based upon the. Uh, several years of listening to their sermons and reviewing them here at Fighting for the Faith. Many of them are are, are are experts in leadership, but they're utter neophytes and nincompoops. By the way, I love that word nincompoop. It means fool uh, when it comes to properly teaching the scriptures. So uh, that's just my opinion. If you would like to take a look at this particular um, exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry, you can find it at alittleleven.com. Now, what this, by the way, this whole thing has been building and bubbling inside of me for a while now and probably has come to a head. And what really kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, watching episode 45 of uh, Kurt um, uh, of um, Kurt Johnston's uh, blog, uh, juniorhighministry.com, episode 45. He has a video blog. And it's entitled Starbucks versus Waterloo Station. And, you know, this is exactly the same kind of stuff that I heard when doing my MBA when it comes to creating customer experiences and having to do with corporate branding. Uh, here's Kurt Johnston just to give you a taste of this. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of our SJH Simply Junior High podcast. Um, welcome back because it's been a long time. Uh, I don't think we've done a podcast maybe for five months or so. And I'm saying this now, Chris, Chris, you're my witness. Um, we're going to try to do these twice a month. Now, I know I've said that before, but we really are going to try to do them twice a month. I am in the new Simply Youth Ministry offices. Um, I do not use the Simply Youth Ministry podcast booth or set because that's sacred ground. That's not true. I, I, um, it's just right out there. I actually like the orange 70s airport-looking office chairs. So this makes me go back to my childhood when my mom's cabinets were this color of orange. orange. Now, keep in mind, the audience uh, that he's trying to reach with this video podcast um, are junior high and high school youth ministry leaders and pastors. Um, I mean, that being the case, I mean, you know, is he going to talk about the gospel, rightly handling God's word, thorny issues in the Greek and the Hebrew? <laughs> no. Just no. pumpkin yellow. So that's where we will be from here on out. This will be sort of our little Simply Junior High podcast set. So what I want to do today is talk to you a little bit about the difference between Starbucks and Waterloo Station and how that might affect your junior high ministry. Um, I love going to coffee shops. I'm not a big coffee drinker. I tend to drink more hot tea and steamed milk and things like that. Um, but there are two places that I go to all the time, that I frequent all the time. One is Starbucks, probably like a lot of you guys. They're everywhere. Um, you can't, it's hard not to find a Starbucks, right? The other place I go a lot is this little hole in the wall place down the street from our church offices, and it's called Waterloo Station. And let me tell you a little bit about the differences between Starbucks and Waterloo Station. Um, here I just need to remind you all that this lesson is not taught in the Bible anywhere. 
But you do hear this kind of stuff at leadership and MBA classes. Is my pictures, as you guys know, I like I like to draw pictures to illustrate my points. Why I don't know because I'm not a very good artist. But you know you, what you know about Starbucks, and you guys have all been to Starbucks. But what you know about Starbucks is highly corporate, highly professional, and you kind of get the sense that you're they're glad you're there. But it's it's sort of like their world that you've entered into, and they're going to treat you well while they're a part of their world, right? No matter what Starbucks you go into nationwide. There's kind of the same vibe, the same atmosphere. Um, nothing happens by accident at Starbucks. This is one of the things I've learned. The environment that you experience at Starbucks, the reason it's so consistent and so high quality is because it is reinforced over and over again. Starbucks is big-time professionalism. In fact, I was at Starbucks not too long ago, and I was sitting there. I actually timed this, believe it or not, but I was watching this supervisor train two of her new employees, I'm not sure if they were new employees, but two younger employees, and apparently Starbucks is going to start selling t-shirts pretty soon, Starbucks t-shirts, and corporate offices had sent to every Starbucks a t-shirt and an instruction manual. This instruction manual was several pages long, and I timed this process, it was 70 minutes that this supervisor spent with these two young employees just to train them how to fold the Starbucks t-shirt appropriately for display. And there was like nine steps, and every step had a, they call it a major maneuver, a consequence, and a result. A major maneuver, a consequence, and a result. And she's like, okay, major maneuver number one, and she's looking in her notebook. Hold the middle of the t-shirt between both sets of thumbs and, and index fingers. Reason, this will or I'm sorry, consequence, this will result in a perfectly straight crease down the, the middle. Reason or result? Because we have discovered that people like their creases down the middle of the shirt and not the, and every single step, like eight or nine steps to this t-shirt, and then she'd have them practice it. Major maneuver, reason, result. Major maneuver, reason, result. It was crazy, 70 minutes. She spent working these two kids. Now, here's a day. You know, it's really funny. Yeah, you're f four minutes into this, you know, how-to corporate leadership video, I'm not hearing anything that relates to actually, you know, proclaiming the gospel, repentance, the forgiveness of sin, sound doctrine, you know, teaching uh, junior high and high schoolers important things like that, you know, what's in the Bible. Bill, I'm not sure where you live. You might live in... Washington or Connecticut or Colorado. I live in Southern California. Whenever we all go to our Starbucks at some point, whichever Starbucks you walk into, those t-shirts are going to be displayed and folded exactly the same as the t-shirts in my Starbucks. Because all over the country, these young kids are getting trained on the nine steps, the major maneuver, the reason, and the result. That, that's Starbucks. It's awesome. Not too long ago, I got my Starbucks gold card in the mail. Made me feel special. I'm not sure if you've been lucky enough to have one of those. Um, if you haven't, let me show it to you right here. Starbucks gold card. I mean, you get the feeling that he probably knows very little about the Bible, but really, really, I mean, I think he should get out of ministry altogether and go and uh, be a business consultant. Look at that. In the mail with my name on it, free syrups, free refills. Um, you probably don't have one of these. You're probably like a Starbucks peasant. You don't have one of these. This is for us um, um, aristocrats of Starbucks, I guess you might call me. Uh, but anyway, Starbucks, right? Super professional. 
Waterloo Station, when I go to Waterloo Station, it's different. What's interesting is this. Starbucks and Waterloo Station, at the end of the day. Just so you know, Waterloo Station is kind of a hole-in-the-wall coffee shop in uh, in Orange County near Saddleback. And, um, it, you know, it, it's named after that uh, famous uh, British train station. So, you know, it, that's where it gets its name. In fact, I even think they're... Uh, their uh, their logo is pretty much the same as the sign for Waterloo Station in Great Britain. So just just so you know, they both give me pretty good coffee. At the end of the day, I get a pretty good cup of coffee. The experience is completely different. Waterloo Station, I walk in there. The barista instantly knows me by name. His name's Matt. He knows where I work. The place isn't very crowded. Um, it's not as clean and tidy as Starbucks. Um, if they were to sell T-shirts, which I don't think. What on earth does this have anything to do with actually, you know, teaching kids the Christian faith? They ever will. But if they were to sell T-shirts at Waterloo Station, Matt would say, hey, dude, we got some T-shirts. They're, they're in that basket. Wait for it. I mean, there's a there's a punchline in here somewhere. Just hang on. Get on the floor, pick through them, see if you like one. That's how they would sell T-shirts. It's just a different vibe. The, there's The floor is just kind of this nasty looking concrete the furniture's not quite as nice but i'll tell you when i walk into waterloo station it just feels relaxed it feels comfortable it feels homey to me and i wonder sometimes if in ministry sometimes we think huh we need to be the starbucks of youth ministry professional corporate people know what to expect purpose driven and i wonder if sometimes in the midst of trying to become more like starbucks we lose a little bit of our waterloo station hominess of youth ministry there's some benefits to being a waterloo station type of youth ministry and what i kind of have been thinking about how about a faithful uh, youth ministry that proclaims repentance and the forgiveness of sins teaches uh, the entire counsel of the word of god law and gospel sin and grace Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You know, stuff like that. Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the historic Christian faith, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Lately is this, that maybe instead of being aiming to be one or the other, that we think about this fact that in youth ministry, there are times for both. There are times in your youth. That's the big sell here. That's the big punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. see... Now, if you've been only thinking about your ministry as, you know, only being Starbucks all the time, then you may have missed the opportunity to, you know, to be more Waterloo Station-like. Because it's all about customer experiences. And by the way, this is what this category of pep talk falls into. When I was in the corporate world, as well as getting my MBA, this was uh, part of the talk when you would when you would sit down and you would brainstorm as a team as to what you want your customer experience to be like. these It's all part of the branding process. So this is a branding customer experience talk. Uh-huh. Mystery that you really need to come across as highly professional, highly corporate. You have your act together. You are the Starbucks of youth ministry. And there's other times in your youth ministry where you want to feel a little smaller, a little more comfortable, a little less put. I, you know what's funny is is that I don't normally think of youth ministries as Starbucks or Waterloo Station. Generally, I think along the lines of Carnival, um, theme park, Disneyland, you know, stuff like that. Together, a little more relational. I mean, really, if I want to have a really good conversation with somebody, I don't go to Starbucks. I go to Waterloo Station because it's smaller, it's quieter, it's more intimate.
there are times in your, in your junior high ministry where you say, let's be a Waterloo station. This is a Waterloo station opportunity. Oh man. <laughs> okay, so you you've got you literally now at this point have thousands of junior high and high school youth ministry leaders sitting there in their staff meetings talking about well how many Waterloo station opportunities did we have this week? Or this is a Starbucks opportunity. For instance, and I I'm not sure where these fall for you, which you would consider which, but um, summer camp registration is summer camp registration and the promo and the procedures and the policies and all that that takes to get your 10 kids or your 50 kids to summer camp. Does that need to be highly professional, highly detailed, very, star you know, actually uh, all of the paperwork involved in sending thousands of kids to kids to summer camp and all the legalities involved. That's not really a Starbucks moment. That's more like a DMV moment. Or a post office moment, not, yeah. Starbucks-ish, or is that something that can be a little bit more Waterloo Station? Uh, your parent meetings that you run, should those be Starbucks parent meetings or, or Waterloo Station parent meetings? Oh, man. The feel of your small groups that kids experience, should they be a Starbucks, really professional, dialed in, a machine that you're just oiling, or should they be kind of a Waterloo Station feel? It's kind of worth thinking about. I think in youth ministry, just like coffee shops. Um, so these are the big burning questions that are being answered by Saddleback's uh, youth ministry team. For all of those youth ministry leaders who follow Saddleback and their methods and you know, whatever. We have an option. Do we want to be Starbucks, high professional, high caliber, corporate, people know exactly what to expect and we never waver from that? There's a place for that in youth ministry. Or is this a time where we want to be Waterloo Station? I really don't think you have to choose we're going to be this or we're going to be that. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with Starbucks or Waterloo Station. Just what you just you gotta you gotta be able to discern in the moment. You know, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, which are you gonna choose? Are you gonna be well I mean the the new code language, you know, again it's missional, intentional, uh relational, experiential. We should also throw into the mix Starbucks Starbuckle and uh Waterloo Stational. I think youth ministry, I think junior high ministry is sort of a constant back and forth. Hey, is this a Waterloo Station moment or is this a Starbucks moment? There it is. Yeah, cutting edge leadership moment here about customer experience and branding from uh from the flagship purpose driven radicalist leadership uh, church, um, Saddleback. Talking about Saddleback, uh, Josh Griffin, who is the uh, a high school uh, pastor there at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, he is uh, published on his blog. But by the way, the name of his blog is More Than Dodgeball dot com. Yeah, because you, you want to you want your youth ministry to be more than dodgeball. He has uh, put up a four year. Plan for sm uh, for small group teaching as well as what's being taught on the weekends over at uh, the uh, Saddleback Youth Group, and it's it's laid out in uh, in this nice, colorful, uh, you know, almost cutting edge Excel spreadsheet kind of looking thing. And uh, I want to share with you what they're teaching over there. But before I share with you what hap what they're going to be teaching each year, and it won't really take that long. 
uh, I want to lay out for you what he thought was important. Okay, so um, here's what he said. He says, Pastor Rick, that would be Rick Warren, asked each of us to submit our teaching slash spiritual development plans for our areas of ministry. Pastor Rick's desire was to refine the alignment of how we uh, disciple from literal infancy to spiritual maturity as a graduate of high school. Here's a little bit of the answer I gave in the profile for HSM. The answer for the small groups was easy. Uh, we're going to be exclusive. Uh, we're going to, to exclusively use live small group material next year in life groups. Our weekend answers mostly revolved around these three categories of broad teaching topics. Number one, felt needs. So primary at, at the uh, the high school ministry there at Saddleback is felt needs. Here's what Josh Griffin wrote about felt needs. Uh, what are students dealing with uh, that we want to address? Topical teaching from God's Word. Topics are chosen that students want or slash need to hear about and practical instruction about how a follower of Jesus should respond to this topic. Examples of this would be series that we did uh, this spring called The Sex uh, about guys and girls, self-worth, premarital sex, marriage, and more. Then, second, doctrine. What do our students need to know about God and faith? And what are the basic Christian doctrines essential to understanding God and theology? And how do students define and defend their faith in God? I'm glad to hear they're covering that, such as uh, apologetics and things like that. And then Bible survey, survey of books of the Bible. Not reading good books of the Bible, just surveying them. So uh, here's where they're going to be talking about. See if any of these topics sound a little off to you. Year one is groundwork year, and it begins with not Christ and him crucified, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, uh, the Ten Commandments or anything like that. Uh, year one, the groundwork year, begins with five weeks of teaching on biblical purposes. Then from there, you got two weeks of uh, learning about identity. From there, you, uh, four weeks in the Law and the Prophets. We'll spend four weeks surveying the New Testament. And then you got three weeks of family life, six weeks on spiritual habits. And you're thinking, uh, spiritual habits? Yes. Think Richard Foster and Dallas Willard and the celebrations of the disciplines. In other words, Roman Catholic monastic mystics, mysticism and and practices like that being taught to your, uh, you know, to your high schooler for six weeks at Saddlebacks. Then you got three weeks about sex, four weeks talking about the life of Jesus, three weeks on friendship, and then two weeks on prayer. That's year one. Year two, character and convictions year. Um, and surprise, surprise, it again begins with five weeks on life purpose. Uh huh. And then we got four weeks on the parables of Jesus, three weeks on integrity, three weeks on pain and struggling, three weeks on growing on your own. That's how to become a self-feeder. Uh, five weeks on serving others, five weeks on social justice. Yeah, that's that's right out of mainline liberal and emergent churches, social justice. Then five weeks on other uh, other religions, and then three weeks on healthy relationships. Year three, this is the giving, serving, and leading year. Uh, we've got five weeks on how to have a well-rounded faith, uh, three weeks on character traits of a leader. So we got spiritual habits, social justice. These are the things I flagged. Spiritual habits, social justice, and then character traits of a leader. 
three weeks on Nehemiah. That would also fall under under leadership because Nehemiah is the big purpose-driven leader that you're supposed to uh, model your life after. Three weeks on tough questions, four weeks on the sayings of Jesus, six weeks on spiritual growth. If you're not familiar with what they use for spiritual growth, again, think Dallas Willard, Richard Foster, and rehashed Roman Catholic monastic mysticism. Yeah, that's you're not you. Sh- you don't believe me? Go to uh, the Saddleback website. Go to their store. Type in spiritual growth, and all of those books will come up. You know, John Ortberg, Monavi, all of that stuff. That's what they mean by spiritual growth. Then three weeks on community, which is an emergent uh, topic. Uh, let's see here. Uh, three weeks on sex and dating. Four weeks on the character traits of God. Two weeks on the fruit of the spirit. And then year four, uh, five weeks on the life of Mary. Five weeks on the life of Mary. I didn't know that you could spend five weeks on the life of Mary. Now, granted, she's an important uh, biblical character. Um, five weeks on the life of Mary? Really? Um, four weeks on the miracles of Jesus. Three weeks on why we believe. So, we get, so year four, we get three weeks of apologetics. Three weeks on healthy dating, and then we're going to do a survey of of Rahab, Ruth, and Esther. Uh, Three weeks on lifelong faith. Five weeks in the book of James. Two two weeks on eschatology and the end times. Four weeks on worship God and love others. Four weeks life after high school. Apparently then they have some kind of a a debrief, uh, graduate them, and then kick them out. So that's what a curriculum looks like looks like for moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah, it's um I mean it's heavily weighted uh, about all about you, you know, in meeting the felt needs of teenagers. I'm not so sure that after 4 years of being in the uh, in Josh Griffin's high school uh ministry that these kids are actually learning the Christian faith. It sounds to me like they're basically a, learning a self-help therapeutic deism that has Christian terminology with mixed in some you know, liberal ideas like social justice and then monastic mysticism and spiritual habits and disciplines. So there you have it. Would you send your child, your teenager to this uh, youth group knowing what this is what they're going to teach? would love to get your feedback. In fact, you can uh, email me your feedback. Uh, my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Uh, that's right, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. When we come back, a short but good sermon by Pastor Ron Hodel entitled, You're the Man. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ 
and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Hello, this is Reverend Matt Slick, president and founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. I wanted to let you know about our online schools of theology, apologetics, and critical thinking. Each school has been developed out of my more than 30 years of experience as a teacher, author, and defender of the Christian faith. With these schools, you can learn what you need to know about the Christian faith, how to defend it, and how to promote the gospel. The three schools are very easy to use, and you can go through them at your own pace. They are designed with short, succinct lessons that include topics such as Christian doctrine, the Bible, evangelism, the cults, atheism, evolution, Islam, logic, and critical thinking. Each lesson is followed by questions that you answer in a self-paced fashion. So, in order to grow in your Christian faith, please visit CARM.org, that's C-A-R-M dot O-R-G, and click on the link for the online schools at the top of the page. And enter the code PIRATE to receive a 10% discount. Two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Got a good sermon that we're going to be reviewing. However, we're going to have to spend a little bit of time in the Bible, but we've got to do our traditional thing here, and that is to cue up our sermon review music. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Now, today's sermon comes to us from my former pastor, Pastor Ron Hodel, at Faith Lutheran Church, Capistrano Beach, California, where he is uh, co-pastor now with uh, the Reverend Jeremy Rohde. And just so you know, uh, Pastor Hodel presided at my son's wedding in Minnesota. 
Now, the sermon today is an interesting sermon because he's blending the Old Testament reading and the New Testament gospel reading together for his sermon. Name of the sermon is You're the Man. And it's based upon 2 Samuel chapter 12 as well as portions of uh, Luke chapter 7, the tail part of Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read both. In fact, I'm going to read a little bit um, for more context. I'm going to read the whole David and Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet piece from the uh, Old Testament as well as read the gospel lesson before we actually listen to what Pastor Hodel does with both of these texts and blending them together the way he did. So let me kill the music. All right, so with that, we're, I'm gonna before we get into the sermon, I need to read these to you. So if you have your Bible, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'll be reading beginning at verse 1, and I'm going to continue through a large portion of chapter 12. Okay, and then from there we'll dive, we'll jump over into the last part of Luke chapter seven. So if you want to mark it ahead of time, you can. If you want to pause and make sure you got your Bible ready to roll, I will be reading from the ESV, the uh, what I lovingly refer, refer to as the English Sanctified Version. I read. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Uh, The woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and uh, one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and when she returned to her house, and the woman woman conceived, and she went and told David, I am pregnant. So David went uh, and sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out to the king's house and there followed him a present from uh, from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Uh, when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, well, the ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? And as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, we'll remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He gets to carry his own death sentence. How sick is this? In the letter he wrote, quote, send Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. 
And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there would be valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king anger if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubbesheth? Uh, did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter trouble you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, "Uh, There were two men in a certain city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very small flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing uh, but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and and with his children. And it used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it, um, uh, for the uh, for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Uh, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites." Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, 
because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Luke chapter 7. We begin at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now the Pharisee who had invited Jesus in saw this and said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When neither of them could pay, that's the key part, neither of them can pay, the moneylender canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, they are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's Pastor Holdel. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace be multiplied among you, my dear friends and fellow Christians. Learning about forgiveness is, is never easy. Forgiveness is one of those things you need to learn about by experience. To learn about forgiveness, you must first need to learn how deep your sin is. To learn about forgiveness, you must first learn how deep your sin goes. All the way down deep, hopelessly deep, dreadfully deep, sinful woman deep, sinful David deep. To learn about forgiveness, you need to learn how to confess. Really confess all of it, every darn part of it. Not that you need to verbally speak every bit of it or even cognitively remember every bit of it. Just that you 
realize how dreadfully deep it really runs in your life, this sin of yours. To confess not only that you've made some mistakes in your life. We've all made mistakes for heaven's sake. That's not it. That's where Simon was at in our gospel lesson. He knew he wasn't perfect. He knew he'd made mistakes along the way. But that's not what we're talking about. We haven't made mistakes. We've rebelled. We haven't tripped up a little bit. We've committed treason. And Nathan is here today to say to you, you are the man. Yes, you are the man. Okay, notice he's talking about sin not as something that's happened to you, but as you being the perp. And now he's he's taken Nathan's words to David. You are the man, and he's applying it to you, and he's applying it to me. This is a correct use of God's law and a well, a very good way to use that passage. Nice application, if you would. But we have to make a distinction, don't we? Between the big sins and the little ones, the big sinners and the little sinners, right? We have to make a distinction between the murderer and the thief between the liar and the one who just tells little white lies between adultery and kind of harmless gossip makes you feel better doesn't it comparing yourself to others that's what simon did compared his relative holiness with You know what sort of woman she is. And whenever you do that, it's very easy to come out on top. There's always someone worse than you. You know the hymn. Chief of sinners though I be, Pastor Rody's worse than me. (laughs) Don't tell him I said that, okay? Let's just let that be our little secret. But does it really matter? Does it really make a difference whether you destroy someone's marriage by words or deeds? Does it really make a difference whether you destroy a child by criticism or overindulgence? Does it really make a difference whether you sweet talk someone out of their possessions or take them by force? Is stabbing someone with vicious words less destructive than stabbing them with a knife? Aren't the results the same? So are you really any better? And those are just the sins against our neighbor. What about our sins against God? God who not only sees our deeds and hears our words, but knows our inmost thoughts and desires, our our selfishness, our, our lack of love, our evil wishes and plans, whether we carry them out or not. And remember these words, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done them unto me. Sins against our neighbor are sins against Jesus, at least according to Jesus. Jesus once compared the Pharisees to whitewashed tombs, nice and clean on the outside, 
but all filthy and corrupt on the inside. How about you? Capital One asks on TV, what's in your wallet? Today, ask yourself, what's in your heart? You are the man, aren't you? And that's why you're here today. You're here because you don't just need help or strength or advice or, or some coaching from me about how to live. And by the way, that's what some pastors are calling themselves these days. Coaches. Ones who know how to do it better than you. Just like Simon the Pharisee knew how to do it better than the sinful woman. If the Bible's at all correct, how to live is, well, that's kind of written on our hearts. We all know how to live. So did David. So did the sinful woman. Do you think for one minute that it was for lack of coaching that David didn't know he wasn't supposed to sleep with Bathsheba and then kill Uriah, her husband, and then cover the whole thing up by lying to the entire nation about it? He just had bad coaching. Do you think it was for the lack of moral and ethical preaching that the sinful woman in our gospel didn't know better? David and the woman knew how they should live, and so do you. The problem is, they wouldn't, and we won't. That's how deeply rooted our sin really is. We know, and we won't. And no amount of instruction can change that. Thinking more sanctified teaching will coach us into a more godly life is, is like advising an alcoholic to quit drinking. Like that's going to do anything. The alcoholic doesn't need more advice. The alcoholic needs intervention. The alcoholic needs to experience a death and a resurrection. And the same with a sinner. The more we learn about the depth of our sin, the more we see it and the more we feel it. But not even seeing and feeling it will give us any power to amend our sinful lives. We need something else. We need a death to sin and a resurrection. We need not more, for, for, not more instruction. We need forgiveness. We don't need admonition. We need the Holy Spirit of God pounding us into the shape of Christ. Improvement? Improvement is kind of like taking a shattered coffee mug and gluing it back together again. But a glued together coffee mug isn't much good for holding hot coffee, is it? Forgiveness is being given a new mug, perfect and whole, as if it had never been broken in the first place. Not a simple restoration, but a new creation. There's very little that would have cheered David up that day Nathan came to him and confronted him. You are the man, Nathan thunders. Better do better next time. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. 
Oh, that would have comforted David. You are the man, Nathan rumbles. Hope you learned a life lesson in all of this. Oh, that would have settled his knotted stomach. You are the man, Nathan declares. You better rededicate your life to God. None of that would have brought broken David, crushed by the weight of his sin. None of that would have stuck into David's ears what David really needed to hear. David needed to hear the words Nathan had for him from God. The Lord has put away your sin. The Lord has put away your sin. As broken as David was, after he had done so much and dug himself into such a deep hole, after trying so hard to hide his sin, to hear those freeing, life-giving words, the Lord has put away your sin. And to hear them not just announced, like, I have an announcement for you, God forgives sins. Because the answer to that is, yeah, I know, but what about mine? No announcement from Nathan, but declaration. The Lord has put away your sins. How wonderful those words sounded to the sinful woman at Jesus' feet. Your sins are forgiven. After all she'd done in her life, after being used and abused and played and judged so much, so much shame, so much contempt, so much disgust, the worst being the disgust she had for herself. How broken she was. And Jesus tells her, your sins have been washed away. Forgiven. Those very same words have been spoken to you today. Not just talked about. Not just discussed. Not just taught. But delivered. I forgive you your sins. Not my words, but Jesus' words. Words he's called and commanded this mouth through his word to tell you. And as a child of God, he's commanded your mouth to speak those same words to others as well in your lives. By his authority, not mine. All the blackness, all the filth, all the hidden sins, all the shame, all the disgust, big or little, doesn't matter. Your sin has been put away. You have God's word on it. If that doesn't change you, nothing will. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? Always a but. But where has this sin been put away? Where? And getting an answer to that question is important because if you're anything like me, there are a lot of things that I put away and forget about for a long time only to find them again. Now, sometimes that's not so bad. It's not so bad when it's a $50 bill that I have put away and find in the pocket of a pair of pants that I haven't worn in a while. 
Well, that's great news. But $50 bills aren't the only things that come out of hiding. So does my sin. Creeps up on me and surprises me. Catches me when I least expect it. And in its coming out, my sin says with a hearty laugh, You, Ron Hodel, you are the man. And caught red-handed, knowing my sin and its depth and the damage that it's caused. There's nothing left to say but yes. Yes, damned sin, I am the man. But from the cross comes a voice. The voice of the Savior. The voice of your Savior. No, he thunders. I am the man. I am the man because I came down from heaven and became the man. I am the man because I take your sins off of you and I put them onto me. I am the man because I came to be broken and die in your place. I am the man. The only man who can and has taken the curse of your sin for you on the cross. To die for you there that you might rise with me. And joined to the man in the waters of holy baptism. That's exactly what's happened. His death and resurrection has become your death and resurrection. His life has become your life. Not the old life, improved a little bit, but a new life. A life set free from sin and death and the devil. A life set free to really live for the first time in your life, truly free. Set free to love with the love of God finally coursing through your veins. Your sin tells you, you are the man. Jesus says, no, I am the man. And what God speaks, it happens. What God speaks is so. At creation, at the font, and even right here and now. Same words, same power, same life given to David, given to the sinful woman, given to you. God's word declared unrighteous David to be a righteous man. And God bespeaks us righteous too. Unholy ones, be holy. And it is so. Jesus declared the broken, sinful woman to be whole and all forgiven. And God says the same to you today as well. Broken ones sitting in the pews of Faith Lutheran Church, be whole. And it is so. And not just once, but always. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God's word is stronger than your greatest sins. God's word creates holy, righteous people where there weren't any. And God said, and it was so. 
You might never be invited to uh, the dinner parties of the rich and famous, but that's okay. You've been invited to another feast, an even greater feast, a feast where you don't have to sneak into it like, like that couple that snuck into the White House or like the woman who snuck into Simon the Pharisee's house. You've been invited and you have a seat of honor. You're not the one washing the feet. It's your feet that are being washed by your host, your Savior serving you, not with water, but with the blood that flows from his precious veins. And with tears in his eyes, so incredibly happy is your God and your Savior to see you here. Yes, even you. To eat his body and drink his blood as he bids us do in his last will and testament. To receive his forgiveness and to be given his life. What a reversal. So great the love of God to lower himself and to raise us, us sinners, us Davids, us sinful women, us Simons. He is here for you that you be counted a sinner no more. Go in peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Notice that he didn't try to give you the leadership principles and life application tips so that you can become a David. He he correctly pointed out that we are all already just like David. Sinners, adulterers, murderers. That we are already just like that sinful woman. All of us. No righteousness of our own to claim and in desperate need to hear God's forgiveness. To hear that our sin has been put away. That it has been atoned for. God's wrath has been propitiated. That we have been redeemed and set free. And that's what you heard today. You heard Christ and him crucified for your sins. For you are the man. You are the sinful woman. So am I. My big need is not to get coaching to help me to do better and pull myself up by my bootstraps so I can clean myself up. The problem I have runs so much deeper than that, that there is no amount of coaching, no amount of cleaning myself up that will really make any difference. Same with you. You are shot through and through with sin. Even your best works could send you to hell because they're not done with pure intentions and motives. Even they are done with pride. And that's just talking about your good works. We could talk about your sins. You're the man. You're the woman. And the good news is that Christ died for you. That he died to atone for your sins, to propitiate God's wrath, to redeem you a lost and sinful, wretched sinner and human being. He offers you forgiveness, pardon, life, peace, and rest. All as a gift, as a gracious and loving father, 
all on account of what Christ has done for you on the cross. This is the good news that Christianity has to offer the world. Repent, then, and be forgiven, and believe this good news that it is even for you. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to Fighting for the Faith in the ongoing mission of Pirate Christian Radio. You can... Uh, when you do that, by the way, you also get access to our Pirate Cove. Pay attention to the buttons at the end of the uh, screens when you're signing up. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.